Welcome to Media Over Matter, a podcast where we bring to light important social justice issues and discuss the different ways these matters are depicted by the mainstream news and media and then presented to the public. I'm Fiona Masalunas, and this is Media Over Matter. Hello, and welcome back to Media Over Matter. My name is Fiona Masalunas. My name is Justin Robbins. And I'm Kaya Kelly. And in today's episode of Media Over Matter, we are going to give you an update on what has happened in the current events related to anti-Asian discrimination since our last episode, talk about the similarities between the anti-Asian discrimination movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, and discuss the role the media plays in distributing information about Asian American hate crimes and discrimination to the public. So the day after we aired our first episode, which was March 15th, so the next day, March 16th, 2021, there was a series of mass shootings in the Atlanta area where eight people in total were killed. Six were Asian women and one other person was wounded and is still in the hospital. Um, The suspect is 21 years old. His name is Aaron Robert Long. He was taken into custody later that day in Cherokee County, Georgia. The first attack was at a spa in Cherokee County, and that's where three people were killed and one was wounded. And then he traveled north about an hour and a half to Atlanta, where there's two spas across the street from each other, and five more people were killed at those two incidents. The controversy came up in the way that the Atlanta Police Department responded to the crimes, right? And how they... Uh, kind of put this light on the suspect that he was just having a bad day. Yeah, so as of right now, the investigation has not been labeled as a hate crime. It's still ongoing. And a lot of people in advocacy groups across the country are really pushing for the switch to be made for this to be labeled as a hate crime. Robert Aaron Long, the guy who committed these crimes, he said that he had a sexual addiction and that he went back and forth with deciding if he wanted to kill himself or if he was gonna save other people from sexual addiction. And so far as we know, all of these businesses were legally operating. None of them were used in any sort of sex work, but that was the kind of label that got put on it is that he wanted to save other people from the same addictions that he was facing. And none of these spas had any connection to do with that. So I definitely think that this could be labeled and should be labeled as a hate crime right now but it's still not the atlanta county police said that they're have this as a top priority in their investigations but there's still a lot that has to be done before anything will be um, decided about it he's still in custody today i will say to add on to that when we interviewed v last time big thing that he kind of covered was how it wasn't really in the guy's priority to label it as a hate crime. Like that's not at the top of their ideals of what they're trying to do. I actually think this could be a good time to bring up the Harvard thing. So Harvard right now is facing backlash for a comment they made on their mental health resource site in response to the anti-Asian discrimination. And they changed the original post, obviously. They received a lot of backlash for it, but Pretty much, they wanted to put a mental health resource page out for their Asian American students, and it was just very incorrect, just politically incorrect in everything they said. The comment that got the most backlash was they said that when you experience racism, you can feel shame. 
and you may wish that you weren't Asian, but remember that your ancestors likely went through similar or even worse events. And so it was that comment that they said, you may wish that you weren't Asian. Or it's just obvious the person who wrote that wasn't, yeah. It's just like who wrote that and how did Harvard, a leading institution in our country, pass that with no, like, no one guessing, like, second-guessing it, you know? Yeah, they just confidently were like, yeah, we could upload this, that's, that's fine. And so it received backlash, and the main response was from a student named Mateo Wong on Twitter. So he quoted the tweet about, you may wish that you weren't Asian, but remember that your ancestors likely went through something similar or worse, and he was like, what? Please tell me who wrote this, and why you thought it would be helpful, and how telling me and how telling me this is supposed to help me feel any sort of racial pride at this moment. Um, and he just keeps going and is bringing up good facts. He said, so Harvard tells me, A, racism happens. Don't worry, your ancestors survived. And please tell me who my ancestors were and how you know what they lived through and what bloodline I came from. <laughs> he He just goes off, as he should. But yeah, I think... That just kind of ties into what you said, just being truthful, is that you have to be careful about what you say and you have to make sure that what you're saying is correct and on par with these events, especially being people who are white and it stemming from white supremacy. Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance around the subject, for sure. And also a way to undermine the victim. Like, yeah, I'm sure that everybody's ancestors went through something worse but that's still a terrible thing to say as if what you're going through isn't bad and I think it's extra funny that Harvard is who chose to be so insensitive about this because a they are so respected all around and also according to their website their admitted class of 2024 is 24.4% Asian American so you would think that that's something that they would be a little bit more sensitive to when a quarter of their graduating class for 2024 is Asian American. Well, in most situations like that, it's not because the college is necessarily like passionate about that. It's just kind of they're covering their bases in a way. Like they didn't yeah. really care about that. They were just trying to put it out there so they looked good. And I think this also ties into the model minority myth. Have y'all heard of that? I have not. So the model minority myth is something that I have found and done some research on in researching this topic. And so I talked about last week, and this is honestly probably something I should have mentioned in the last episode, but the history of anti-Asian racism in the U.S. And this model minority myth plays a huge part in that. And this model minority is a term that I guess white people gave to Asians to stereotype them as this hardworking, law-abiding minority group and just kind of gives them this false perception that they are better than other minority groups and other groups of people of color within the United States. Since, like I would say, Asian people started coming to the United States, this has kind of played a role. I don't, I'm going to assume probably because they have lighter skin tone that this is why this stereotype was placed on them. But this model minority myth has really like rooted into Asian American culture because 
it kind of makes them feel like they have to be this good minority and that there is another example of what would be a bad minority which you could say would maybe be you know African Americans and this is just like splitting this line down the middle and kind of trying to create more of a divide between these marginalized groups within the United States. And it also just it seems to sort of hold this standard above the heads of the Asian Americans that who know about this or involved with this anything that almost that they're like not welcome here if they don't meet these sort of the standards like you were saying which is at the exact opposite of I I'm sure what they were trying to do with that but it's mm, that's not great so two things about what you were saying and you're absolutely right the first one kind of the same thing V talked about how positive stereotypes can still have really negative effects on people kind of because you have that expectation set uh, even though it's false and it's it's kind of holding you to a racist standard that the white majority is holding you to in a way but the good other good thing you mentioned is is the marginalized groups having to fight for each other kind of for the limelight a little bit that they've been forced into that's kind of how the media is with that subject how it's like one group will get more coverage and then the other kind of falls to the wayside or with affirmative action it's i've met people who are asian american who feel they aren't represented well enough within that because of the positive stereotypes that they're smarter or they can find their way into it. So they end up trying to want to pull away from other minorities and get a larger percentage of that affirmative action instead of just there being help for everyone, if that makes sense in a way. No, that it totally makes sense. And it's like exactly what V said last week. It's like Asian Americans feel that they have to play this role, that they have to, in order to, you know, kind of not get the same treatment as maybe some other minority groups in the country, they need to play this role and and be the model minority so that they can avoid being targeted and so that they can just continue to play the role that the white people want them to play, you know? I feel like this also ties into the topic that I wanted to discuss of how this rise in the anti-Asian discrimination movement, Stop the Hate, how it ties into the Black Lives Matter movement and the fight against racial inequality and against white supremacy. I found a Times article that went really in depth over Black and Asian solidarity during these times, but as we were saying, the differences between these minority groups and the divide that this can create between these minority groups, that I have a good example for. So also mentioning Harvard again, they're kind of getting the heat in this episode. A tweet by a woman named Laura Huang. She is an author and an associate professor at Harvard, Laura Huang. She tweeted something in the beginning of February, and it says... I want to see how passionately people, including other people of color, will stand up for Asians. Those of you who were so vocal with Black Lives Matter, where are you on the 1900% increase in Asian-directed hate crimes? The violence has taken many lives, yet we rarely see those stories covered in the media. And so she makes a valid point in wanting people to speak up on the Asian-directed hate crimes. 
But where she's facing backlash and where she messed up is in comparing this issue to the Black Lives Matter movement, almost with a sense of jealousy, kind of, you know, like y'all cared so much about Black Lives Matter. Why aren't you caring about Asian lives now? And the biggest takeaway I found from this is that it's only helpful to talk about multiple race issues when it comes to battling white supremacy. Like that is when it's the most important to bring it up because you can't amplify your cause while tearing another one down. You know what I mean? It defeats the point of the whole thing. Yeah. And so it says you can look back at the history of Black and Asian relations in the U.S. And anti-Black racism has existed in the Asian community just as much as anti-Asian racism has existed within the Black community. So this dynamic of communities of color being pitted against each other is something in the front of everyone's minds during this rise of anti-Asian violence in the United States right now. And I think more than anything, there should not be more separation created, but it should bring people together more. And I think that's why that tweet by Laura Huang rubbed so many people the wrong way is because it seemed like she was trying to be almost against the Black Lives Matter movement and because she wanted more people to care about the Asian Lives Matter. But it's all tied together. Absolutely. And I think that another thing that's interesting to point out is that this sort of movement that's happening right now does compare in a lot of ways to the Black Lives Matter movement that happened in the last you know couple of years, but also the the hate itself and the actual crimes and prejudices that are happening very much resemble those that were directed towards Muslim Americans after nine eleven. It's the same thing where this bias, this prejudice, is widely believed about one thing about something happening and a whole group of people being to blame which is not even a little bit the case and it's just you see the same sort of pattern repeating over and over well i know the thing that ties them all together is white supremacy and that is the probably biggest problem in our country that has led to all of these issues is the idea that white people think that they are above other minority groups. Or that they own the country. Oh, it's kind of like it's their country. That's, that's the... And that's why these groups, like, turning against each other is the complete opposite of what needs to be happening right now because they need to join together. The only way that white supremacy will get dismantled is if everyone joins together. From what I found um, also in that Time article and kind of relating back to that model minority myth is that there is some hope though because that model minority myth was very much um, a role played by like older generation Asian Americans. Um, But this younger generation of people and activists who never really participated in that model minority narrative that their parents or grandparents might have, they are the ones who are completely willing to show up for black and brown issues as well as Asian American issues. And they're the ones that are going to continue to fight for this greater social justice struggle and 
like not only when one group is being attacked, but when everyone is being attacked. Absolutely. And I definitely think you're 100% right about that, about, you know, millennials and Gen Z and the generation coming up being more open to just being done with it and just taking a stand and doing what they need to. Like in, I think it was February, that 84-year-old man, he was shoved to the ground in Oakland, California and didn't die then, but he did end up dying from the incident. And you see stuff like that on the news, but then you have people like V, who we talked to last week, who is of the younger generation, who was like, hey, this happened to me. I'm going to tell you all about it. And here's why it's wrong. Here's why it's messed up. Here's what we need to do, which I think is such a good thing to be coming out of this generation. If something were to be shifting, it's that no tolerance policy for anything like this. And it's getting worse, which we need that sort of advocacy standpoint coming from the younger generation as stuff like this becomes more prominent and as stuff like this gets worse and worse every day. And I think it makes me wonder, like, because being the younger generation and being a generation that is so, like, in like uh, intertwined with social media and getting stuff out there like that, you know, how V took to Facebook to share his issues... I'm wondering, as opposed to social media versus the mainstream media, like, what does it take for them to start really caring about these issues and to start really putting it out there, you know? Because at least in response to the Asian American crimes, it seems like it took the spa shooting and eight people getting murdered for them to really care. It was the media coverage that caused people to care. Because they can't be aware of it. Or like what, to me even the question is like, but what causes the media to want to cover this? You know, like, does it take eight people having to get murdered to say, okay, now let's make this a big thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if if we go back to the news bias thing, I was talking about how it's like news stations and websites kind of function on the fact of making money or getting views to keep their station running. I mean, something like that is obviously something that needs to be talked about, but even the smaller things need to be talked about. But it's the big things that get the attention. So the media will cover that and anything related to it, and then the moment they find another thing to latch onto, they'll just completely forget it and leave it in the past. And then the public opinion is kind of surrounding that, where it's like, oh, well, if the news isn't covering it anymore, it must not be an issue that I need to care about anymore. Kind of like how now the Black Lives Matter movement's gonna die down a little bit, even though it's just as alive as it was when it was popular on the news. And I definitely think that that's the way that a lot of these big movements get started, is that you have like one really big event or a handful of really big events happen over a certain period of time, and then as people talk about it and find out more, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, this happened too, and this happened too, and then you just have all of these people coming forward with all of these different horrible things that have happened to them and then you realize how big the problem is because in a lot of situations you might not realize how bad it is until something like that happens like obviously for me I am just white and I I know I try to be conscious about the things that are happening to other people around me but there's still a lot of things that I just I would have no idea and so I think that sometimes it's horrible that this is the way that it is but sometimes it takes a big couple of events or big event like that to just kind of shine the light on it for a lot of people and then the movement itself just kind of will build from there yeah to kind of put it in perspective a little bit do you guys have a more positive view on that then i i think 
to me, the positive side of it is definitely social media and the way that like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook have served as platforms for people to share their stories, you know, and get information out there because, you know, being someone who's a huge social media user, I find out about a majority of big issues, not from the news, but from Twitter and from seeing it on there. And then I'll go and search it in the Twitter bar and go read all the response tweets to whatever I'm, you know, information I'm looking for. Because you, if you do enough digging online, you can find so much information there, real stories from real people telling you things that have happened to them that news news channels and uh stuff like that aren't just aren't actively searching for those people unless it blows up unless you find it and so i think social media is a positive light in that way i definitely think that you're on something fiona i'm i'm 22 and i have i never read the news i get everything from my timeline and then if i see something I also am sort of skeptical about what I see on social media, just as everybody should be. And so when I see something there and then I go, you know, do my own research from there, it is nice to go back to the social media after I've gotten the facts to see real firsthand accounts from people who were there or something like that happen to them. Because like you were saying, Fiona, a lot of that, those real firsthand stories, and no one's going to go and seek out a news interview for like, you know, something minor. If... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible that they could, but it just seems like a lot of people would just rather do what V did and start a Facebook Live, like make a tweet and just be like, hey, just letting you guys know in this area or whatever, this just putting it out there that this is something that happened. And I think that that's caused a great rift between the news media and the social media. And it's something that you kind of have to be involved with both to really get the full story. And even then, you don't really know if you're getting all of the details as it is. I went through, uh, and kind of like what Justin was saying with like how some news channels are really just trying to get their ratings up and are really just trying to get clicks and views. I went through and found, uh, articles on three different news sites. One being Fox news, which is a little more, um, you know, right leaning, uh, BBC, which is more left-leaning, and then I found one on Newsweek, which is just more moderate. And Fox News is the one where I wanted to see what they were covering on the anti-Asian discrimination and all that stuff. And on their main homepage, there really was not much. So I went and I searched. I literally just searched Asian just to see what would come up. And um, I will share my screen with y'all because I feel like just the Fox News article titles in general are just they're just something so i just searched asian right here and this was the one that did it for me asian man sucker punched an unprovoked new york city attack i just think the term sucker punched is very insensitive and it just completely rubs me the wrong way and so here is the article pulled up. And the thing, the way Fox News does it, it's just, it's not, they're not trying to make it very personal for the victims. They're just reporting and that's it. And so they share this photo of the man's face, which is just kind of a little jarring. And 
Then there's some links to other articles about Asian hate crimes and attacks. But for me, it was just kind of the lack of resources in general on these. Like, it literally just says, click here to get the Fox News app. Nothing about how to help Asian Americans. That was just kind of my problem. I also think that. that the language that was chosen in the preview of the article on the last screen that you were on was very normal polite news vocabulary you know Asian man spending the day in Central Park with his wife and young son and normally when you're using that sort of news terminology attacked Mm -hmm. would be a great word to use and sucker punched is definitely not the option I think that you're on to something with that Yeah, or like stabbed to death. I mean, I get that that is what happened, but it's just so insensitive. Like, mm, like if I were the family of these victims, I really wouldn't want to be reading these article titles, if you know what I mean. So then BBC, this is a BBC article, a more general one about COVID hate crimes against Asian Americans on the rise. And I just wanted to show just how much information and resources there are in this article just kind of as, as opposed to the last one. They have videos included within that you can find more resources, some statistics. And I just think this is just gonna give you so much more information that is important to know. And so then, you know, down here, related topics, hate crime, coronavirus, United States, Asian Americans, you're just going to be able to find a lot more resources on these topics from a more left-leaning. And then this Newsweek article, this was the one about the Harvard backlash for their comment on the mental health resource page. It has, which I like, has these little side subtopics that you can click on. And it does give you more information, I would say, than the Fox News article, but... It is still a little more broad, but they include, you know, the tweet response. So just kind of to show y'all the different ways that these three outlets covered these topics. In relation to that, obviously the more liberal leaning medias are going to cover more social justice issues, which is a positive uh, in comparison to more right, right leaning, which is more focused on like economy type stuff. And you definitely don't put enough information into social justice issues, but there you got to be careful with that because then you'd automatically assume that all the time the left side of the media is genuine in their coverage, and that's not always the case. There's been huge social justice leaders who have listed that the right side just doesn't care at all, and the left side a lot of the time is kind of being fake for their own benefit. Like pushing their... Yeah, yeah, pushing their like agenda. Like pushing their agenda, yeah. It's it's hard to make a claim like that because it's so generalized because there's so many different forms of media. But a, a big thing that I think is always good to cover is back in 2016 when there was a huge coverage cycle over the news when Colin Kaepernick kneeled because police were murdering black men and it just it was not justified at all. And it, it never has been. But the news cycle started covering that, not as the Black Lives Matter movement, which was going on in real life. It was more so the controversy over why he was kneeling and why it was right or why it was wrong. 
and they didn't really get into the weeds of it. Most companies, most big organizations did not back Black Lives Matter at that moment because it was so divisive. Starbucks was firing people who were supporting, who were like wearing shirts that were employees. Uh, there, there just wasn't a big public outcry of support for that movement. And now 2020, obviously, was a very different story. Every single company was acting like they were on the forefront of it. They were going, oh, you know, we support, we totally, we're going we're gonna to donate so much money, we're there for you. And these are the same people that didn't give two shits back in 2016 because the general public wasn't behind those issues. Now that they can make money off of those issues because it is positively supported, they're going to back it up as much as they can. So it's, it's hard to be careful because sometimes big things like that can be supporting. And then there's the argument of even if it is virtue signaling, signaling by a company, is bringing awareness still positive enough even if they're making benefits off of it? I think those really good points you make. Because I also, being someone who tends to be more left-leaning, I... I know I try to be really aware of that when reading news and media articles because I know that they they're going to do what's in their best interest. And if they're and if their best interest is leaning toward the group that supports Black Lives Matter, then they're going to do that. And if their best interest is leaning toward the group that doesn't, then they're going to do that. And I saw that the only company I saw that didn't do that during the time with Colin Kaepernick was Nike, who from the start supported him. And then Nike, in turn, lost a lot of business. But that was a sacrifice they were willing to make to stand up for that cause. So actually, I got something on that. While that was seen as a positive, and while you will see that as a negative, it actually raised their sales. It did? That was a business move by them. But at the same time, if you go back and watch that video, it is the most generalized video you've ever seen. It never once mentions Black Lives Matter or anything like that. It just shows his face and goes, stand up for what you believe in. Just do it, Nike. So at the same time, they're supporting him, but they weren't going all out. They weren't t- saying what was going on. They were just giving like this big preachy, like, oh, do do what your heart desires, chase after the, th-. like it still wasn't genuine. And even that-, that caused so much outrage yeah. by... But it, that was a calculated decision. You got to remember there was people at a board meeting that were like, this is going to make us money. And their sales with young people skyrocketed because they bought into it. I think that a lot of what you're saying, Justin, sort of ties in with what we were getting at earlier about how to have that corporate and community to support backing a movement like that. A lot of times something big has to happen, which you would think that at the time of the Colin Kaepernick issues that we're having in the media, that it would have been seen as something that was more supported throughout because there was events that happened long before that i mean you have the events in ferguson missouri with michael brown jr he was 18 and he was killed by a cop and so you would think that collins kaepernick's actions wouldn't have had that much of a divide behind them because things like this were already happening but people didn't care yet honestly like people didn't care yet it wasn't until the more recent events, George Floyd and everything that happened after that, that that movement really gained a lot of public, really gained a lot of support from the general public. And but, I can put myself in that group as well. Like I can remember back in 2016 when the Black Lives Matter movement was happening and I just, I knew it was happening, but I was not there standing behind it because truly like back then, as we're talking about something big enough hadn't happened that got my attention. 
and it, it makes it makes me upset at myself back then for not caring but all you can do is be better you know all you can do is be better than you were and I've, ever since 2020 of last year I've been really trying to be a good advocate but it's hard to just not let it be the most important thing if it's not the most important thing in your life at that time it's hard to not let your standpoint and what you're trying to support kind of shift to the back burner when you get focused on everything like these issues are so big and they need constant attention from everyone and so that's something that a lot of people are having trouble balancing which I think is what you were just saying Fiona so something that you're trying to figure out for yourself in your personal life as well Okay, guys, I think that is about all we have to discuss today. But before we finish out, I wanted to give some additional resources to anyone listening. So we wanted to talk about StopAAPIHate.org. And Stop AAPI Hate is an organization that was started at the beginning of COVID-19 last year, and it is founded by three uh, Asian American organizations, the Asian Pacific Planning and Policy Council, the Chinese for Affirmative Action, and the Asian American Studies Department of San Francisco. And their five-pronged approach to stopping Asian American hate is to serve as the leading aggregator of anti-Asian hate incidents, offer multilingual resources for impacted community members, provide technical assistance from rapid response to preventive measures, to support community-based measures and restorative justice efforts, and advocate for local, state, and national policies that reinforce human rights and civil rights protection. And if you have any questions or want any more info on that, you can email community at stopaapihate.org or follow them on their social medias at stopaapihate on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Something else that I think that's really cool about Stop AAPI Hate is that, that you can report incidents of anti-Asian American Pacific Islander situations directly to them and they will take those reports from individuals from people across the country from anyone and they will sort of compile them and they did a they released a national report on March 16th and the this specific report only covers the 3,795 incidents that were reported directly to them from March 19th 2020 to February 28th 2021 so that means that three and a half thousand hate incidents were reported specifically to this organization, not even to authorities or anything necessarily, but three and a half thousand more than were reported just to this company in a less than a year, 11 months. Yeah, and those are the only, like you said, the only, those were only ones that were reported through them. So there's definitely more, definitely a bigger number. But yes, like she said, when you go to their homepage at stopaapihate.org, it immediately pulls up that report page where you can report a hate crime or incident. So that is definitely a good resource for anyone out there that needs that. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today on Media Over Matter, and we will talk to you next time.